Welcome to the CSI Wake Forest Podcast, where we're examining the counselor student experience from the inside out. My name is Bobby Lang, and myself and our three other hosts are current students in the Wake Forest Counseling Program. Our hope is to provide insights about our experiences in the program and explore topics related to what it means to become a counselor. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you find whatever it is you're looking for. All right, so welcome back, everybody, to the Wake Forest University CSI Podcast. Uh, myself and Brittany are going to be the pairing for today's podcast. We're super excited. Uh, dream team extraordinaire. I know that we're all dream teams all the time, but you know we're just excited to be together on this one. Today, we have the incredible, wonderful pleasure to bring on Rachel, previously Burrow, currently Warner. And she, let me just say, a bright spot in your life, a bright spot in our cohort. She brings the positivity. Uh, brings the laughs, and uh, she has a wonderful uh, pup named Mowgli that has been a part of many of our experiences together in class in this virtual environment. We love that part of this virtual environment. And so today, we are going to be talking about self-care and its importance and how it shows up in a graduate program, especially in counseling, as well as we're going to be talking a little bit about what it means to be in a cohort and how that can be really supportive and how it's worked for us and hopefully give you some takeaways and advice for those of you that are going to be in this program or another program someday, or for those just listening to understand what it looks like to be in a counseling program. Um, And this self-care stuff, we're hoping it's applicable to everybody listening, um, not just our counselor listeners, but anybody that's looking to kind of implement something in their lives or hear what somebody else has done to be successful. And so Without further ado, I'll let Brittany, if you want to talk a little bit first, maybe start us off and, and get Rachel involved in this process. Yes, it will be my pleasure to kick us off. Rachel is one of my favorite people. And when we were even thinking about doing a podcast on self-care and cohort support, she was like the person that was at the forefront of my mind, just because of who she is to us as a person, a classmate, and a, just a human being in general. We love you, Rachel. Y'all, I'm going to cry. <laughs> this is so on brand for me, though. <laughs> yes. So one of the first questions that we just kind of wanted to kick off with is how has your experience been in the program so far, just in general? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, so I was kind of thinking about this because I figured, you know, you might be asking um, this question. And first of all, I love our cohort. I think our cohort has made this program what it is for me. Um, I don't, like, I couldn't even describe to you how great I think our cohort is. I'm going to try as we, as we talk through this, uh, have this conversation tonight, but um, yeah, I just think the friendships that we've built and how we can all just talk to each other about anything. And I know I could call any person in our cohort and they would be there for me. Like you can't say that about a lot of groups. Um, And I'm feeling so grateful to be a part of our cohort. So I would definitely say my number one top, you know, thing about being in this program is our cohort. Um, The 14 of us, we are unstoppable together And so, yeah, that's definitely been the highlight for me. Um, I also have really enjoyed getting to know some of our professors. Um, I think that 
they are just so funny and so real with us. And that's really refreshing um, because sometimes in undergrad, when classes are much larger, at least where I went to undergrad at UNC Charlotte, go Niners, whoop, whoop. Um, yeah, classes were larger. And so it's really cool that being in a smaller environment, we've gotten to know them, um, know our professors a little bit better. So yeah, it's been good. Awesome. Well, I know that it's been a wonderful experience for all of us. Um, however, I also recognize um, the current moment in time and we're battling a pandemic, actually also a hurricane slash tropical storm came through this week. And this yeah. experience, while wonderful, has been um, challenging, I'm sure, in a lot of ways. And so knowing that and knowing that it hasn't necessarily been rosy in every way and wanting to just be authentic with that, what type of um, self-care and just what kind of things have helped you get through this experience um, when the times haven't been as positive, maybe? Yeah. Um, thanks, Bobby. I really like that question. Um, I think first and foremost, for me, it's recognizing and being honest about when I'm not okay. Um, and even though as counselors, we want to be you know, of course, the most stable person in the room or, you know, holding things together as, as we let our clients kind of fall apart or process or whatever. Um, just as a human being and as a student and living through a pandemic and just being a grad student in general, even before this, I had to get honest with myself about when things were not good and allow myself to say, this like stinks. Like, I really don't like this right now. And that's okay. Like, I can be honest about that with myself and with the people in my life. Um, and, and, and my cohort members, you know, because if I'm feeling it, then maybe someone else is feeling it too. And, you know, I think that just in any program you go through, counseling or not, there's going to be times where you're like, this is a lot of work, or I'm emotionally drained or there's a pandemic, or all of the above. Um, and like, we all have life things going on. So I think first and foremost, for me, when things aren't rosy, um, which, you know, I, I, I tend to lean towards optimism. Um, but I think it's important for me to allow myself to say, yeah, that that wasn't great. Like, in fact, that was like, really hard and painful. Um and just like, you know, kind of sit in it, as counselors would say, sit in that for a minute. Um, but then, as I've kind of um, mentioned, step two for me would be talking to my people, you know, whether that's my husband, whether that's my best friend, whether that's like my cohort members. Um, I think that's the next step for me is once I'm honest about it with myself, tell my people and help them or get them to help me through that. Yeah, I, I would have to say, like, being your classmate, um, that's one of the things that I've appreciated about you the most. I know people can carry the struggles of life in different ways, um, and they can try to bury it. They can try to put their game face on and attack what they have to do that day. But I can just think of so many times, especially here recently, with all that's going on this year, where you know, we would do our check-ins, maybe an internship or whatnot. And you would say the statement, like, I'm not okay with this. And I just think it was powerful for me because 
I think it allowed myself and my classmates to pinpoint how that thing wasn't okay in us as well. And it gave space for us to address sometimes the ants in the room, because sometimes it's not an elephant in the room. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's like a little pesky type of thing that we're just like trying to like go around. But it allows us to identify, you know, wait a minute, that is bothering me too. And now we can get this out in the open and now we can sit in it. Um, And so I think it's something that I've like, you know, you're saying you found it personally, but it's also been liberating as somebody that's walking through life with you um, in this counseling program. Wow, Brittany, I love, I love that analogy of sometimes it's not an elephant. Like sometimes it's those little tiny things that there might be like four or five ants, you know, as you would say. And that's annoying. And over time, like if you don't take care of those, like that's not gonna make you the best version of yourself. Um, And, you know, you want to be able to be honest. If we're going to ask our clients one day to be honest with us about what's going on, like that has to start with us, Um, like being honest as we're being trained to be counselors. Um, Yeah, I I love that. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. I think a lot of times in counseling, we talk about the importance of authenticity and congruence. But I think that you take it a step further into that vulnerability piece. Like, I think that you're comfortable being vulnerable about where your space is currently. And that allows everyone else to feel that same comfort being vulnerable. You know, like it kind of makes space for everyone by being a person who's willing to say, like, I'm struggling. It, get, it like takes the, it takes the air out of the room. You know, it allows people to be, you know, who they are, why they are, um, and wherever their emotions are in that moment. And I think that you do a great job, you know, from my perspective of, of balancing that vulnerability with your comic relief that you bring in sometimes too. Like, you know, Absolutely. like, you know, it's like a, you get both, you know, you get this positive, sunny person who is going to make us laugh and just your, and your whole persona. But then when you're, when you're struggling, you're so real with us and vulnerable. And so it's like, we get the best of both Rachel's um, in any given class or, or anything like that. And it, it really is like, it it moves our our group in in a really positive and forward direction. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Y'all are so sweet right now. (laughs) I'm going to have to cry about it. (laughs) Y'all, y'all, y'all are so nice. I'm, I'm kind of speechless right now because that's, those are just really sweet compliments. And I think for me, I have always been a really sensitive person and going through this program, when we were talking in one of our classes about like highly sensitive people, it wasn't even like a large topic, but it was just that like phrase that hit me and was like, that's me. Like I'm highly sensitive. And this is not just to say that I cry all the time, even though I do. It's saying I take in a lot and I feel all of it very deeply. And so I think that that reflects in the way that I, you know, present myself because I can't help. Like I have so many emotions that I can't help but let them out. So if I'm having a great day, like you're going to know. And if something like crappy happens, then you're going to know. And, you know, I think that for me, I've had to become more comfortable in that with myself and learn. 
not to apologize for it, even though that can feel really uncomfortable for me. Because as you both have seen, and as our cohort members have seen, I don't have issue with crying in front of people. Um, But sometimes, like other emotions, for instance, like anger, um, that's really hard for me to express because I I haven't quite gotten there yet. And I, I don't like being angry. And so anyway, I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole, but I just really appreciate that. And I do tend to wear my heart on my sleeve. So I'm, I'm glad that in some ways it's um, helpful, helpful to people to see that that's okay if you do that too. Absolutely. I think what you just said kind of leads us into another question that we had for you. And it's, how, have you found it easy or difficult to implement self-care? You know, have you found it easy to come to the place you are right now with um, just taking care of yourself and finding the support you need? Mm. Um, I think that it's not easy, but I think it has become a priority. And the longer I've been a student, which has been all my life because I went straight through from undergrad to grad school, um, the more I've recognized that I'm a human being first and a student second. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think for me personally, that's the way I have to operate because I am a highly motivated person. Um, and I do like getting things done. I love planners. I love planning in general, time management. Um, but I really have worked at trying to find the balance. And when I'm not being productive or when I'm not being a student, I'm also turning that switch off in my brain and not feeling bad about it. But that's been hard. And I'm still in that process. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that it just takes practice as with, as with most things. And, um, my graduate assistantship at the Learning Assistance Center Disability Services at Wake Forest has really taught me um, through that because through being an academic coach and helping students, um, you know, be successful academically, I've also worked to help them find balance as well. And in turn, it's kind of, you know, flipped and helped myself. Yeah, no, I think, you know, implementing any kind of a self-care regimen for any of us, I think, I, I think back to myself, you know, in my experience, it's like, you know, I recognize its importance, but it's like, as a graduate student, it feels like the, the plates are always stacking. You know, you've always got one thing coming up over another. And as counselors, I think that we really rely on, you know, our intuition on others and like our enthusiasm for helping others and really focusing on others. Mm-hmm. And it becomes really difficult to navigate, like, how can I put myself first in, in this domain or in this other domain? And it becomes, you know, somewhat overwhelming in trying to kind of implement it. But I think you're right that like, we have to take advantage of all this knowledge, whether it's in the Learning Assistance Center or in our program to like, you know, self-diagnose, you know, in terms of like, how can we help ourselves? What is the self-care that we need? Um, and how can we fill our buckets in, in the right fashion that we really want to? Yeah. Yeah, that's so right. I mean, counseling obviously is very others focused and we're trying to be present with 
the client, you know, not thinking about ourselves. But when we take that hat off or when we take the student hat off, it's important that we do fill ourselves back up and not, and don't feel bad about it. I feel like that can be the the change sometimes for me or the thing that's hard is that sure, I might be, you know, taking a break or I don't know, watching TV or something, but am I still, am I feeling bad about it? Like, do I feel like I should be doing something else? Because if that's the case, then is that really a true break? Like, am I really being filled in order to give more? I think those are great points. And I think being in graduate school in and of itself causes you to reflect on what does self-care have to look like for me? Um, what boundaries do I have to put up? What things do I have to do differently? Um, and as we're even thinking about like approaching this topic, um, one of the things that stood out to me was the fact that I had to figure out what's going to work for me. I think a lot of times we think about self-care and we think about what everybody else says self-care is supposed to look like. Like, oh, I need to eat this way. I need to exercise. I need to do all these things. And sometimes we have to do some self-reflection and figure out where is it that we need our self-care cup to be filled. Um, If we are in a pandemic and we're not seeing anybody, maybe our self-care cup is empty because we're in isolation and we need connectivity. And so I think that was something, you know, that I had to learn as a grad student was where am I empty and let me go ahead and fill up where I'm empty at before I start trying to do everything in the world that looks good at self-care. Yes, absolutely. I think self-care has become such a popular kind of buzzword um, that we're hearing a lot, at least on social media and stuff like that. And sometimes it does look like taking a bubble bath or lighting a candle But other times, it might not be those things, and that's totally fine. Like Brittany said, it might be FaceTiming friends or going on a social distance walk or, you know, whatever it is. Or, I don't know, eating candy. Like, (laughs) whatever it is, um, that's okay. And also, it changing for you over time. Like, depending on the season that you're in, it's going to change. So like, for instance, before the pandemic, some people might have felt like super relaxed when they got home. But during a pandemic, it might not feel that way to you. So like, what are other ways that you can create, you know, self-care? Does it mean like opening your windows because that makes you feel a little bit less like stir crazy? Is it like going to sit outside on your deck? I mean, sitting outside is really helpful for me. Um, that's just one thing that I do. I also appreciate candles. (laughs) I also like candles and, you know, do things like that. But I think allowing ourselves to change what our self-care for each day looks like is good. Like, I think that we should do that. Yeah. And I I think, I think Brittany and and Rachel, something that like just resonates is like the ability to identify what it is that is not like filled and what might be empty. It's like, you know, if you're really exhausted, exercise might not be the solution to your self-care woes. You know, it, you know, if you're like just, you're just dog tired, maybe you need a nap, maybe right. you need some rest, um, or maybe you haven't eaten and you need to eat. And so it's, it's a difficult thing sometimes when we're running through our lives, you know, when we're 
balancing these plates, um, it can be really challenging to figure out like which way is the best way forward. But I think if we can take the time to identify what is it that's going to help us the most, that can get us where we need to go. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Um, You reminded me when you said that about a podcast that I listened to called uh, The Next Right Thing by Emily P. Freeman. She's awesome. Um, She is faith-based and I am as well. So a lot of the things she says resonates with me. Um, So anyway, just her podcast title, it, it really helps me. I mean, of course I listen to her episodes, but sometimes I think what is just the one next right thing for me? So if I planned on making dinner, but then I spent eight hours on Zoom that day and I just cannot, then maybe it's maybe the next right thing for me is asking like my husband, can we just like get, I don't know, like me Pueblo or something, you know, or like just go out and get fast food because I just can't do it, even though that's what I had planned. And like not feeling bad about that, like giving myself the space that like that's the next right thing for me in this moment. I love that. Absolutely. It reminds me of the Frozen song that all of our podcast listeners may not be aware of, but me and Rachel are aware of. Brittany, I just, as a side note, Rosie and I just watched it again the other evening, Frozen 2, um, with my niece, who's five. And when the Next Right Thing song came on, I was not okay, (laughs) y'all. I was not okay. It gets me. I love that song so much. Like, if you're going through a hard time, just go listen to that song because Anna will just sing it, sing you through it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, I want to move into this this next piece, Rachel, and I I think you'll have some interesting uh, insights for us on this. Um, and I thought this would be kind of a, a fun question that I don't think that any of us have really considered. I, I certainly had before, you know, this uh, podcast. But um, what would you say was your first impression of the cohort that we're in right now? Time to hmm. be honest. <laughs> we're looking for authenticity. Some of that vulnerability, Rachel. Oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll be vulnerable. But let me think back for a second. I really haven't thought about it. Um. I guess, I mean, the first and foremost, the impression that you get when you go to like the orientation is you're just nervous. Like at least that's how it was for me. I was just nervous because you're just, you don't know what you're walking into and you're, you're meeting all your cohort members and the professors at the same time. So it's like, woo, like we are starting fast. Um, so for me, it was definitely nerves, but like just meeting everyone, I realized how we're all so different. Like all of us are so different and there's not a cookie cutter, like counselor type of person because we all got into this program. And as time has moved on, I realized this is moving away from my first impression. Um, but as time has gone on, I'm realizing that all of our differences this is about to be so cheesy, y'all, are what makes us so great. Like, we are all so great in different ways. And I know that a client that might be right for Bobby may not be the best fit for Brittany or 
vice versa. Or a client that, you know, might really like what I bring to the table might not like what someone else in our cohort brings to the table. And that's so great because the world has so many people in it. And so I'm, I guess I'm excited for like our future like clients and people we, we interact with because this program has showed me that our cohort is the perfect example of how counselors are just regular humans and we're all different and we all have great things about us that are going to help someone. Um, and, you know, we might not be a fit for everybody, but that's okay because we have a cohort member that is the right fit. Um, yeah, so I would say my first impression was I was nervous, and then I realized how different we all were. But pretty much from the start, like, we all just, like, we were instant friends, even though we all came from really different backgrounds. So that's really cool. Brittany, did you have a first impression that uh, you wanted to share? Yeah, I feel like mine is a great segue from what she just shared. I noticed that we were all different off the bat, and we're, we were small. So I think it like, it's 14 of us, right? Mm-hmm. So it was 14 of us. We were all different. We were different ages, some of us different backgrounds. And so I just remember being nervous. I think... More than I was nervous about meeting the cohort, I was really nervous because um, I remember the moment of the professors. It felt like Shark Tank. Like <laughs> the professors would just circle around us in the lobby and, like, you know, mingle and talk to us. And I think it just heightened my nervousness, even though I'm really grateful for it today. So I just remember nerves being there. I remember thinking, you know, how well is everybody going to get along? What is this going to be like? But I think beyond that, I began to realize it was the first time where I felt deep bonds of friendship with people who were so different. I think, you know, most of our lives, we try to find the friends that are very similar to us. You know, the people who like the same things, the people who, you know, kind of remind us of ourselves a little bit and we get stuck in that comfort. But it was the first time where I felt like I could completely be myself and build relationships with people who are different. And I think that's a credit to the program structure and to the people because we prioritize relationship over being homogenous. Like we knew how to have conversations with people. We knew how to value people so that we could operate as a unit, even though we were different. I think that was probably my first experience with something like that in a group. Brittany dropping that wisdom. Mm. Yes, Brittany. I just have to say, you just summarized and gave word to that. Like, I could never explain it the way that you did. It's true. Like, it it really is a unique experience because we do typically, you know, become friends with people who at least share something similar with us. And, of course, we all, you know, came into this program because we're interested in counseling. So that is a similarity. But we're all really different, like I was saying, But another thing about our cohort um, that you kind of touched on, Brittany, is that I feel like we all just kind of were like, we're just going to dive in together. Like it was kind of an unspoken thing about like, we, for whatever reason, our dynamic just works. And the 14 of us were just like, we just jumped in. Like I pictured just like 14 people just like holding hands and jumping into a pool. Like, that's kind of what it felt like to me because, and then we all just figured it out. 
And we all just like can rely on each other of like, hey, can I like use that floaty, (laughs) you know, like just different, like if we're going with the pool metaphor. So I just feel like we just got close really quick, but we skipped all of that kind of, not all of it, but you know, we skipped that small talk. The pretenses, we put the pretenses down. We really did. And it was just like, here's like really deep emotions from me. And here's like really hard things. And it wasn't like these big, like soap opera moments in our classes, but it's just, there was this comfortability in our classroom that I feel like I'll never forget. And I miss that classroom. (laughs) I miss that room, y'all. I want to go back. Um, Yeah, we just jumped in together and we, we just didn't look back. And I think that's something so beautiful about the dynamic of 14 of us. So if if any of the the rest of you are listening, we love you. <laughs> yeah, no, I it's so interesting to like think back and I think about that that first t- I came in late. I don't know if y'all remember, but I came in late to the like first luncheon or whatever and like I sat with the faculty because I was I think I was like um a little bit nervous to meet all the students. Like the faculty, for whatever reason, I wasn't as nervous to like sit with them <laughs> I don't as know like Bobby. <laughs> these peers that are like my age and like doing the same thing as me. But it seemed like everybody had already started conversations. And so I was like, I don't want to like step in. Like, I don't want to be that person that like comes into a conversation and is awkward. And so I just remember being also very nervous. Um, and then I walked up to LB and Marshall. And they had been just, you know, talking and introduced myself and, you know, had a nice little conversation that was very like, um, you know, an everyday like weather conversation that you have. Um, And it just so kind of to what y'all were talking about. It's so funny because I felt like we all moved from a space where we were all perfect strangers, right? Like absolutely perfect strangers. And then it felt like it was maybe the first week of classes we were acclimating to the new environment. Um, but I just remember going from like, there was almost like this tension of like, are we here to compete with each other? Or are we here because we're all on each other's team? And at some point, it just was like, oh, we're all here because we're on each other's team. And it was just like this amazing transformation. And it almost felt like the timing of it was perfect because as soon as we started having to do counseling sessions with each other, we all liked each other. You know, like it felt like there was like, this we're all in this together we're on each other's team it's going to be okay um but it just to me it was so funny it went from perfect strangers to like are we doing this against each other together and then once we figured it out we're like oh yeah we're, we're all like there's nobody here that's like trying to outdo one another like we're really just here to be great counselors and i think like that that piece about all being different um i think something that's so wonderful about it is there's like this complementary nature to it yeah. Like the things that I'm not good at while like, you know, there's a re- like referral process, you know, as a counselor, I could refer somebody to somebody else, but it's also like this learning experience of learning these different perspectives and these different um, just approaches to the world of counseling that like, rec- like help you recognize like, oh, there's not one way to do this. Mm-hmm. There's multiple ways to do this. And yeah, I, I love that. Like that differences, the differences and the cohesion combined feels like the perfect recipe for what good counseling looks like, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, something that keeps coming to mind as we're talking about how great our cohort is, um, is just how through all of our conversations and all of us being different, um, you know, there's bound to be difference of opinions on all sorts of different topics. You know, like we talked about a lot of hard, heavy, good, you know, we talked about everything. We talked about a lot of stuff in that classroom together. And there just was never a moment where there was like hostility or I don't know what what word I'm looking for, but like nothing ever got heated. Like, of course, people were passionate about things, but it just never was to the point of like attacking someone or just like completely shutting down. And what other space could you like have a very strong difference of opinion with someone and not like get to that level? And so I think that's something I'm so grateful for is that for some reason, like we just all clicked and we just, I don't know, maybe it's, we just like so deeply like care about that, the people in our cohort that even when we have a difference of opinion or see things differently, we can still see like all the good in that person. And it's not going to like taint that relationship or that dynamic. And so I think that's something that's been really cool about our cohort. and just going through this process together. Oh, I completely agree with you. I feel like, you know, we chose to put the person before the differences. And I think that because of that, we never allowed the differences to become who that person was to us. And mm-hmm. I think that's what happens a lot in conflict. I think when people don't agree with each other, they start to see that person as the thing they don't agree with or as the the conflict. And now we're on two different sides. But it was like we valued the person first and foremost. So then we were able to hear out the differences without it's kind of unconditional positive regard. We started literally using counseling skills of being person centered towards each other. Yeah, I was just thinking it's kind of. Sorry, he had to make an appearance. Gavin, can you get him? Um, yeah, it's it's kind of like we started using unconditional positive regard. And I was also thinking while you were talking about how it's about empathy. Um, and we were all just like diving into this realm of like great empathy. Like I would say that, you know, we we were already people that were empathetic or else we probably wouldn't have you know, chosen this career, you know, this career path. But like going into our program, it was, we were really taking a deep dive into like growing that and um, just becoming more empathetic people. And so I think we really did, maybe even without recognizing it, like start to just practice on each other. And we didn't even know. We were just like, I know this person and they have a difference. And I'm going to stand firm on what I believe and they can stand firm on what they believe. And also I love them and I care about them. And like, we are going to work, you know, we're just going to keep processing together. Um, Yeah. Uh, Love our cohort. (laughs) Yeah. And and something I did want to bring up to anybody that might be listening. So we had discussed like, you know, some of the difficult things that we had to talk about. I mean, we're not, 
talking about like, you know, person-centered versus, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. We're talking about like the issues that are pretty much the most politicized that are in, you know, today's day and age. I mean, we're talking about cultural, you know, differences. We're talking about like physician-assisted suicide. We're talking about suicide more holistically and what that looks like and whether people should be allowed to. And so these discussions are about, you know, really hot button tick topics. And while, yes, there's a professor there to kind of help facilitate some of these discussions, it really is, I think, um, completely counterculture to what we're looking at right now. Like we're, we're in the midst of this pandemic and political upheaval, civil unrest. And it felt like there was just this like bubble of civility and appreciation for different perspectives that was happening. And I think it really came from like the relationships we built together, but also just from like this, this like, like goal to really get to the, to the, to the end of it for each of us. Like we wanted everyone to find their end of the path for themselves rather than I want you to find my end of the path. Mm. And I just think that there's a lot of power in that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if you guys remember the particular class or day, but I just remember one of the times we were, you know, being given one of these tough questions because, you know, the professors weren't afraid to say, hey, we're going to put this topic out there. And I remember we were being given one of these tough questions and you could feel the same tension in the room. I think it was either around white privilege or the racial disparities that are happening, happening. And you could feel the tension in the room, the tension being the tension that's already in America. Um, sometimes you bring up topics and the automatic emotion is everything that's already being felt outside the room. But even with that emotion being there, one of the things that I saw within myself, and I'm curious to see if you guys felt it as well, was this desire not to let that like that topic or that pressure begin to put us into a, divi- a divide. Like I started to sense that we, want, we weren't afraid to talk about the things, but we were hesitant to talk about them in a way that will cause us to have some kind of friction or divide within our cohort. And that was like one of the times that stood out to me of us caring about each other as people and as us wanting there to be a safe space for things to go down. Because I just remember we all were kind of like, uh, the tension around this, like the vibe around these particular topics, even if it's not the ones I mentioned, but like the vibe around this, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel healthy. And we are caring about what's emotionally going on in the room. So we're going to kind of pull back a little bit. And that's something I begin to notice in our cohort, which is what I think opens the door for people to feel comfortable to share. Yeah. Yeah, Brittany. I think you're right. I think the unity, like the unity piece was really important of like, even though, you know, these are hard topics and you could feel tension in the room sometimes because that's bound to happen. Like, it wouldn't be authentic of us to be like, everything is always great. And even though I'm telling you how much I love our cohort, there was definitely conversations that, you know, they're heavy and they're going to bring a certain vibe into the room. But there was a certain, like, respect, I guess. Um, I don't know if that's, like, the best word that I'm looking for. But I guess, like, just for lack of a better word, respect. Like, I respect and empathy put together, maybe. (laughs) Like, I care about this person. I've heard them speak a lot. I know some of their background. I also know where I'm coming from. Like, let it, like, and with everyone in the room kind of checking themselves, um, 
but in a way that still allowed us to be authentic and still say our opinion, but we weren't doing it in a way that was like pointing the finger or, you know, telling, you know, insulting or attacking or things like that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's interesting, like, you know, um, I think you kind of brought this up, Rachel, of like the, the, the same kind of experience that we have with clients having that with cohort members is like, we're like focusing on the client in the room. It's like, we're, cli- we're focusing on all the other members of the group and how they might be experiencing it. And that is allowing us to have a deeper level of empathy when we're considering these topics is like, oh, I wonder how this person could be perceiving this right now. Or I wonder how they're experiencing this right now, rather than just being fully in your own experience, maybe if it's anger, or maybe if it's frustration, or maybe it's, you know, vulnerability, whatever that might be. It's like, oh, let me check that for a second, because I'm surrounded by these people I really care about. And like, just that, that slight change to focus on something other than just yourself and your own reaction to the topic allows you to have a deeper sense of empathy. So when you you're more measured in your responses, or you're more measured in the way that you're considering that topic, than I think you would in a typical, you know, experience, I think a lot of times in our current moment, we get these like, um, heightened, you know, physical arousal, you know, from these topics. But when you do it in a safer space, and you're having like a legitimate consideration of the others in the space, I think that it really creates this alternative reaction and response where you you just kind of like, wow, maybe I do need to do some personal work because, you know, all these people are having completely different experiences of this conversation. I think it's important for me to conceptualize that when I think about these topics um, and how those show up for me. And and I think there's just like a a real belief that no one's perfect in our cohort. You know, we all really recognize and our flaws come out in our little individual sessions we have with each other. And so there's this awareness of like the the whole person, I think, when you see people, you know, for seven minutes at a time, you know, each week and for a whole year. Yeah. And I think what Brittany said um, and what you're describing is it was a safe space, you know, like I feel like that's the best word. Like it really was a safe space and it still is. I'm, I guess I'm just talking in past tense because I'm thinking of our classroom and not our Zoom classrooms. Um, but yeah, it just felt safe because we were remembering the whole person. And I think that we were trusting that we know that all of us are insightful people, that we are being reflective because we're in a program that has challenged us to reflect, reflect, reflect on ourselves. And so I think maybe something that helped us, even if we weren't exactly thinking this, is, okay, I might be like, I might be on a way different page than somebody else about this, but I'm going to keep my cool. I'm going to continue to, you know, say what I need to say or hold my tongue, depending on whatever it is. And then I'm going to trust that at some point, like, you know, they're going to do their own work. I'm going to do my own work. And we're going to come to some sort of, you know, maybe not even agreement, but just like, this is where we're at. And that's fine. And, And, you know, just like trust each other to do their own work. And so it wasn't the responsibility just 
didn't feel like it fell on us to convince people otherwise. Um, And I think that that's just so true of counseling in general is like, it's not my job to tell you what to believe. It's not my job to tell you how to fix your problem. Like I'm here to like process with you and, um, you know, listen to you and be a sounding board and to reflect what you're presenting to me. And I feel like, again, we kind of practice that on each other, even when we weren't in skills. I agree. That skills class, you know, was my most challenging experience, but I think it was probably the key ingredient for the bonds that we were able to build. So Rachel, um, thinking about the self-care pieces, thinking about the cohort experience, if we were to ask you to give advice to future students, to future cohorts, what are the types of things that you would recommend um, to individuals and to, to whole groups to form the type of experience that you feel like you've had and maybe even a better one in some ways? Yeah. Um, I'll do my best to kind of summarize some of what I think, you know, I've learned through this process and what I would pass on to other people that um, are about to start this journey or just, you know, anything really. Um, I would say one thing that comes to mind because it's turned into my motto for the past year when it comes to grad school, and I learned this from Katie in our cohort, um, good is good enough. And that's what I have to tell myself because you're going to just fall down some research rabbit holes sometimes and you're going to keep checking your paper and you're going to never like finish the endless reading that comes. And sometimes you just have to stop. Like you just have to say, yep, that's the paper I'm turning in because that's all the gas I have in the tank for that. And that's good. Like, that's fine. That's what it's going to be because it's one paper of my entire existence. And I know that gets kind of like zoomed out, but I really have to do that with myself. And I was just telling my best friend the other day that I finally feel like after all these years of doing school, I've gotten to the point where, you know, and I'm still a work in progress with it, but I finally feel like I've gotten to the point where I trust myself to say, yep, I'm turning that in. I'm not reading it for the fifth time. Like, I, that's the best I could do in this moment. And even though the best I'm doing in this moment might look different than what I used to do or what I'm going to do in the future, that's okay. And so I think, um, yeah, that would be one of my biggest pieces of advice is like, know when good is good enough. Um, and don't, you know, don't let your mind get away from you of like, oh, but there's so much more that could be done because there's always going to be things that could be done. Um, and I would say the second piece of advice that we've spent a, a good chunk of time talking about is, even though it sounds cliche, like lean on your cohort members. So I know that we've just talked a lot about, um, you know, the hard conversations like in class, but even for the things that seem trivial, like make a group me or a group message and like your lives will be changed because you'll all realize, oh, we're like kind of all on the same page about not understanding this 
or like, oh, something funny happened and like, let me tell the group about it. And like, just lean on them because this experience is so unique and they are the ones that get it because they're going through it with you. And so I think that's one of the most beautiful things about the cohort model is that you have built in support system if you choose to use it um, that know pretty like pretty close to exactly what you're going through. Like they're doing the same assignments. They have the same professors and they know all the other cohort members. Um, and so that's just so cool. Like that's just such a cool experience because you don't have to like explain things. Like everyone's just, you know, on the same page about it because they're living it with you. Um, and so I think really, you know, lean into that and lean on your cohort members. Um, and then I guess third, um, I would say just, I don't know, maybe it's cause I just took a deep breath, but just take a deep breath. <laughs> like, um, that kind of goes along with good is good enough, but just take a deep breath and know that even when things are hard and not what you want them to be, um, you will grow and learn from it. And it's giving you more clarity. I think that's a word that has stuck out to me this year. Um, with our program is I've gained uh, over the past, I guess, year and a half through our program, I've just gained a lot of clarity about all sorts of different things, about what my plans are after graduation, about, you know, the best work environment for me, about how I learn best, about just personal things about me, about how I relate to other people. So yeah, there's just been a lot of clarity and a lot of that has come from the hardest moments because I'm realizing, whoa, that didn't feel good. So probably shouldn't do that, you know? Or yeah, I love this. This gives me a lot of energy. So I'm going to keep doing that. Or, you know, this works for me and stuff like that. So to wrap up my <laughs> little monologue, good is good enough. Um, lean on your cohort and you know, take a deep breath. You're gaining clarity as you go through this process. That was just beautifully stated. <laughs> uh, Brittany, I feel like you need to drop some wisdom on us again. I don't have nothing else. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's a process. Like, I feel like everything that you said is true. Um, that it's a process. And we, and specifically for Wake Forest's program, they build their course courses and the way the courses run and the assignments that we have, they build it in such a way where it encourages the things that we talk about experiencing the kind of assignments they give us, the type of discussions that they allow to happen in class, um, the way it functions. A lot of that is cultivated so that we can, you know, have this bond, even the way we never talked about it, but the way that we sit in class is in this U shape. It's like, even the structure of our seating was built to facilitate these bonds that we have. And so all that to say is that when you're going through the process, you have to trust it. And it doesn't mean that you're putting your trust in the class, in the program to be your end all be all to everything. But you have to have a certain amount of trust that what you that what is going on in your life right now in this program is building something in you. 
Like you're being built in this. You're getting the tools in this so that when you get into opportunities and situations that you have what you need to function in those things. And so even if people out there who are listening and you feel like you're having to trust the process, you know, for something that may not even be right now being, you know, in the counseling program, but just in your life, like just being reminded that something is being built in you while you're trusting the process. And so it can raise your faith a little bit that even if I don't see the end result, I can look at myself and think about what is changing in me? What kind of clarity am I getting? And what kind of person am I becoming that is now different and will serve me better in the future? And I think this program did a great job just building that kind of structure and bringing in the kind of people that help that kind of process. So those are my thoughts. Yes. See, I said, Brittany, drop some wisdom. And then you were all like, no, I don't have anything. And there she goes. That was nothing. No, girl, that was wisdom. Mm-hmm. That was Classic cute. Brittany. Classic <laughs> Brittany. <sighs> yeah. No. And, and I think, you know, just thinking about what both of y'all said, I, I think back like to early on in the experience. And I, I feel like it's, it's all about like taking the first step. You know, like just be the person that's like willing to like put your foot in the ring and like, you know, if it's doing something that like helps everybody else out, like, you know, I'm trying to think of something like, you know, there's an assignment coming up and you decide to make a study guide, you know, to help others with that, that process, whether it's like planning an event that like people can come to that feels inclusive, whether it's um, just saying like, man, this, this assignment seems hard and just saying it out loud because there's a better chance than you think that everybody else is feeling the same way that you are. And I, I think that Rachel, all of your comments and all of your um, points just blend so perfectly into that, like, just take that first step and it's all going to be okay. You know, if you do, it's going to open that dialogue. It's going to open that conversation so that everyone feels a little bit more comfortable, um, you know, being vulnerable and being that person. And so, um, you know, if you're willing to take that first step, I think that it pays off in the long run. I know that for us, you know, I don't remember who took the first step, but I can tell you whoever did, I'm eternally grateful and thankful that it helped produce this. And I think everybody kind of took their own first steps in at different points. And it just, it, it's like this chain reaction and ripple effect that I see these people as being part of my life forever. You know, like that I could reach out to them for help, for support. Um, and when we have a podcast, you know, we have these people that we can just jump out to and they can give us all kinds of knowledge like Rachel's done with us today. Um, and so I just think that, um, take the step. What's the, what's the risk? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me y'all. This was so much fun. We just got to talk about how great our cohort is, which is something I love to do. And of course, self-care, you know, that's always good. So again, thank you so much for having me. It was our pleasure, girl. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Rachel. Uh, it's wonderful, as always. Um, hopefully, all of our listeners can get just a little, uh, like a little preview of the type of person that Rachel is that we get to hand, you know, encounter in all of our classes and interact with. Um, and she has a podcast of her own. Um, so, you know, shameless plug if you're interested. Oh my uh, goodness! So, you know, if you want want to hear more of Rachel. Uh, there are other there are other mediums available. Um, so, thank you so much for coming to listen to us. Uh, we you know we love you as listeners, and 
We're so excited to continue to produce content. Please provide us with any feedback you have, things that you're you're wondering about, questions we can answer in some of these podcasts. And we look forward to the future of providing you with more stuff. Um, We will not be seeing you next time, but hopefully you can hear us next time. All right. Thank you.